Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. All right, let's um, turn here to Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. We're about halfway through um, the series I'm doing, and I've entitled it Grace on the Mount. And if you've missed the last few teachings, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and hear those because I, I've, I've really gone through this and shown that Jesus isn't trying to add to the law, but he just shows how if you keep the law, it doesn't really make you righteous. And some people, you know, take things, I think, kind of out of context, and they, they try to make it like the law 2.0, but that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's pointing people to himself. He's pointing people to what true righteousness is, which is in him, the person of Jesus. Amen? So um, we'll start here in Matthew 6, verse 19. And I'm going to start off with a question. You know, what can you take to heaven? What can you take to heaven? And um, I, I thought of this joke I heard years ago about a husband who was dying, and um, he said that he, you know, he had $1 million in savings, and he wanted it to be buried with him. That was the only thing he asked of his wife, and the only thing he asked in his will, that he, his $1 million that he had made and saved throughout his life, that it would be buried with him. It was a closed casket ceremony, and um, after the ceremony, the pastor asked the widow if she honored her husband's dying request. And she said, yes, I did. I wrote him a $1 million check and put it with him in his casket. She's a smart woman. You know, what can you take to heaven? You can take souls to heaven. I'm so glad, you know, like we, we um, there, there's going to be a new soul coming to heaven thanks to us having church on a Wednesday two weeks ago. You know, and um, God, God's going to keep opening hearts to the gospel. There are hearts that are ready to receive. And um, um, I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here in Matthew 19. Let's read a few verses here. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying here, the earth isn't a perfect place. It doesn't really matter where you live. There, there are problems wherever you go. And some of these problems I know we face here in Colorado Springs. Moths. Once a year, there's always just this... Egyptian plague of moth <laughs> that hits Colorado Springs. Some years, you know, Moses cursed them or something. I don't know. Like they, they, they we, we get lucky a few years, you know, here and there. But, but every year, it seems like there, there's a certain month where, where it's just like moths everywhere. And I remember even in this building, there were just dead moths all over the floor and the kids were going around collecting them and playing with them. And, but moths, moths are disgusting. You know, they're, they're flies from hell. <laughs> he talks about rust here. You know, my, my middle brother, Andrew, he's a, he's a, he went to school for chemical engineering. He's now a project manager for an oil and gas company. Um, you know, at, actually, at a young, I think before he was 30, he, his company sold, and he, he was made a multimillionaire um, basically overnight. But he's in charge of building... You know, $200 million, $300 million, maybe even more now, $500 million gas plants. But 
he, had a, he, he goes to seminars on corrosion engineering. When you're building something for $500 million, you want to make sure that you know, rust doesn't take its full effect on your $500 million asset. But eventually, rust will, will get two things. You know, we talk, you know, he mentions thieves here. You know, um, there, there are thieves here in Colorado. You know, right after I married Heather, uh, we had lunch on a Sunday after church. We were eating at the Outback Steakhouse. And um, uh, we, we came into the restaurant. At the, 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 it's at Woodman and I-25. But we came into the restaurant and Heather realized she forgot her purse. And um, she just, you know, after being in the restaurant for one minute, turned back out and saw someone break her window and steal her purse out of her car. And um, she, she saw who it was, and my dad, you know, ran out, and, and they got in his forerunner and chased after this guy, and they eventually found him in his truck and, and uh, chased after this guy. And um, uh, yeah, and this guy started driving up, you know, rock rimming. Uh, against traffic, trying to get away from Pastor Lawson. He was, all, you know, full on. He was born for that. Heather said it was like being in a, in a movie or something. How <laughs> It's funny, because normally my dad doesn't do a good job driving, and he... <laughs> but he just needs, needs a, a heavy dose of adrenaline to stay on track with his driving. But they follow this guy for... Oh, yeah, and this guy actually started shooting back at them in, in, in the neighborhood of Rock Rim and started shooting back at them. And, uh, you know, they're, they're on the phone with the police as this chase was going on, and uh, they, they were describing where they were, and the police were, like, setting up, you know, to get, catch this guy once he got back on the interstate. And, and he got off the interstate right before the cops caught him. So, uh, you know, he, he probably thought he got away, but uh, um, actually, uh, my dad told uh, a prophetess um, Bobby Jean Merck, who has since uh, passed away, but he, he told her about this, and, and she declared that this guy would be caught and that, that justice would be served. And uh, a, a, maybe a month or two later, not too long after, the cops actually caught the guy. And um, um, he's now in prison for 14 years because he, he's just a criminal. And um, thankfully, you know, we have a justice system that doesn't like people shooting up neighborhoods and shooting at... Pastor Lawson and Aaron Purdue's, you know, new bride, who was hunkered down in his forerunner, you know, on the phone with the cops or whatever. But I'm very thankful for the, the Second Amendment, and because uh, there are criminals. And um, um, anyways, I'm thankful that that in Colorado we can protect ourselves inside our homes, and and I think it should stay that way. So what can you take to heaven? You can take souls. You know, Jesus is talking about what, what are your priorities? You know, is your priority just, just temporary things or is your priority eternal things? And he's saying your priority needs to be eternal. Amen? And Jesus constantly pointed people to this, that, that you need to point, point your priorities, point your goals towards eternity, not just to what is temporary. And I love something that Jesus said in Mark 8. You can um, keep a finger here in Matthew 6, but turn to Mark 8 really quick. And we'll go to verse 34. Mark 8, verse 34. It says, When Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I love that he adds my words there. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Jesus just calls it as it is. He says, look around you. This is an adulterous and sinful generation. The church should not be into the mindset of appeasing the world. You know, I just listened to um, a little podcast with this guy who was the top um, hostage negotiator under President Trump. And he was eventually, he was the last person um, appointed to um, the, the top security counsel to Trump. I can't remember his name right now. Um, but but um, he, he said one, one of the greatest things about the Trump administration was the number of hostages that they brought back. But he just said, with Trump, it was America first, and, and we were not into appeasement. He said now the current administration wants to appease terrorists. When Americans are taken by the Taliban or by Hamas or by whoever, but he, he, he said with Trump, like people knew that there would be consequences if you screwed with America. And um, Jesus was not into appeasing the world. Amen. The church should not be into appeasing the world. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus, he would just say it as it is. These are, these are his words, and we need to stand upon his words. Amen? And I'm always going to stand upon the word of God. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. At this church, we're going to preach the word. We're not going to preach much beyond the word. And if something's an opinion, we'll specify this is our opinion, but we're going to preach a heavy dose of the word. Because because really, that's what the church is supposed to do. That's what pastors are supposed to do. That's what Paul told Timothy to do. Preach the word. And um, that's what we're going to continue to do. So our priorities need to come from God. Your treasure is what you are aiming for, what you are striving for, what you are living for. That's what your treasure is. If you are just living for money, you will have a poor life. If you are just living for fame, for your own fame, you will have a poor life. If you are living for Jesus, if you are sold out for Jesus, if he is your treasure, if, he, if his word is your treasure, I rejoiced over his word like one who found great treasure. If you are living for Jesus, you will have a rich life. And as you seek him, he will provide for you. As you seek him, he'll give you purpose in life. It won't be about trying to, to get recognition and get fame. You're going to be excited that because you're trying to make Jesus famous. It's about him. Amen? So keep living for Jesus. Make him be your treasure. Verse 22. Verse 22. I mean, God's been speaking to me a lot about this, this verse in um, 
um, he actually gave me a word a few Sundays ago about this verse and kind of tied it into physical healing about people's eyesight being healed. And um, I, I believe that, that, that the, the Spirit was there to heal people's physical eyesight, but this scripture was really on my heart about just your eye, how, how the eye just affects everything within you. And here Jesus is talking about it in a spiritual sense. And um, it says here in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So he's saying how you see things. Faith sees things a certain way. People of faith can look at a situation and see it completely different than someone who does not have faith. Unbelief is full of darkness, but faith is full of light. Faith will bring light to your spiritual eyes. Amen. We should always pray that we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Because the way you see things will determine your destiny. The way you see things, the the spiritual insight that you have, being able to see things the way that Jesus sees things, being able to see a church the way Jesus sees a church, being able to see people the way that Jesus sees people within the church and even in the world, to see people how Jesus sees people. Man, it will will shift your destiny. It will shift your, your, your call. And um, I, love, I love that something that, that Ezekiel said. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I believe that when you come to Christ, he wants to shift your eyesight as well to be able to connect it with that, that new spirit that was within you. He wants you to be able to see things in the realm of the spirit. And um, how you see things, it will greatly affect your reality. Faith will change the way you see things. Faith will affect your reality. And um, this scripture has also been on my heart a lot lately. It's from Titus 1, verse 15. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. It's talking about how you see things. Do you see things with, with a heart, with a pure heart? Pure people are going to be looking out for the best in other people. They're going to be able to see beyond someone's roughness, beyond someone's hurt, beyond someone's sin, beyond someone's junk. They're going to be able to, to see beyond that. And even when someone is, is, is just spitting back at you, cursing you, mock, you'll be able to see through that and not take it personally. That's how Jesus could see people. Pure people will, will see, always look for the best in other people, but unbelief will cause you to look for the worst in others. Unbelief will cause you to always look for the worst in others. Unbelief will cause you to look for the worst in in your family members, it will cause you to look for the worst. In your, your marriages, it will cause you to look for the worst. In your church, it will cause you to look for the worst in, in things that God has called you to do. And, and this, this is a very true statement. If you are looking for the best in others, you will find it. If you are looking for the worst in others, you will find it. How you see things, it will affect you. 
how you perceive things. It will affect your soul. It will affect your purpose. It will affect your relationships. It will affect your destiny. And really, our heart as believers should always ask Jesus to see things the way that he sees them. How do you see the situation? How do you see these people? How do you see my spouse? How do you see my kids? I was just talking to, to Fisher the other day about this. You know, I, I met Heather and Fisher. Um, she, she had been married before her husband passed away. Um, he passed for about a year, and she moved here to go to Bible school. We met her first Sunday here. We dated like a week or two, a few weeks later, and she dumped me. And then, <laughs> thankfully, she knew she was supposed to be here at church, and she was already committed to serving and, and kind of stuck around, and, and God you know, showed her to see me a different way. <laughs> I was talking to Fisher, so, so when we got married, he just started calling me dad on his own. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell him to do that. Heather didn't tell him. He just knew in his heart. God just gave him that understanding that I, I was his dad. And the same thing happened when I married Heather. I knew that he was my son. And now that we have Ada, who's three years old, it's, it's not like we're... I, just ha- I have a son and a daughter. And I told Fisher this. This is what my parents, how they view parenting. Really, th- those children are, are not your own. They belong to God. So each and every one of you, no matter how your earthly parents were, you, you, you have a heavenly father. Your ultimate parent is from your heavenly father. He's the one who created you. He's the one that willed you into existence. He, he's the one that brought you here. And uh, my parents just felt that they, they were stewards of this gift that God had given them. I told Fisher that. I said, I, I said I, I'm, you are very much my son. I'm very much your dad. Uh, we're actually very soon going to go through the process of me legally adopting him, just so legally he knows on paper that, you know, if, if Heather were to kill me, like, he would get half my stuff, and <laughs> Ada would get the other half. I try to explain things to him in, you know, a good 10-year-old way to explain things to him, just why courts matter. And <laughs> But he's really excited. He's been asking me every day, did you, like, did you get, I told him it takes a little time, and, and he, he's, like, ready to get out of school and go to court and, and uh, make this thing happen. And uh, it's just really, really... Awesome. Let's go on here. Verse 24. Man, this is awesome. You got to serve somebody. Man, one thing I realize is everyone here on, on planet Earth serves somebody, serves something. People make religions out of the silliest of things. And man, I would much rather serve Jesus than serve anyone else. Man, he, he is by far the greatest master to serve. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And this is, this is a great verse. I could preach a whole series on this. I just want to give you a couple nuggets on this. Um, I heard Jesse Duplantis a few years ago make a great statement, and it's really stuck with me. He said, prosperity is not about possessions. It's about priorities. 
Now, you can have a huge bank account and still have a very poor life. And you have to really determine what your priorities are. God should be your first priority. Family should be a priority. Relationships should be a priority. Friendships, community, the local church should be a priority for believers. When I, when I went to college and on the rare occasion I met a, a girl who said she was Christian, the, one of the first things I would ask her is, where do you go to church? And she said, I don't go to church. I, it was immediately a deal breaker. No go. Like, I'm not going to date you. You do not have the same priority as me. And um, there, there are far too many believers who think it's fine just to not go to a local church or that just meeting with a few friends at a Starbucks, that, that, that is not church. All, all believers are part of, of the, the body of Christ, which is the church, but we should all be connected and have real relationships and have a real pastor and have accountability and responsibility and real relationships. Amen? Paul would write to churches. He'd write to the churches in Colossus and Philippi. He'd write to pastors. He'd just write to, you know, hey, Starbucks, post this. The Starbucks of Rome, please post this letter in your, on your bulletin board at Starbucks. Yeah, I was talking to a, a pastor today. He, he actually came out of our church, um, Scott Swanson. He's, he's pastoring uh, Dan Funkhauser's church. Dan, pastor Dan used to be um, Andrew Womack's pastor. Um, I think Pastor Dan's in his 80s now. I, I love Pastor Dan Funkhauser, but um, he kind of retired from full-time pastoring, and Scott Swanson, who was a member of our church for, for many years, um, now pastors that church, but we were kind of nerding out about random things, and he was, we were talking, he was telling me about, about the Septuagint, and I'll just give you just one moment of me nerding out. So some of you won't, won't follow, that's fine. But uh, he said in the Septuagint, in the, in the, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it was done about 200 years before Jesus. So the, uh, a Greek, I believe it was a Greek emperor, wanted to have the, the Hebrew Bible translated into Greek. So Jewish scholars, two, this is 200 years before Christ, translated the, the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And Scott told me that the, they used the word ekklesia, Throughout, so this is 200 years before Christ that they use the word ecclesia to describe a group of believers. So I just I just thought that was so cool that the ecclesia. It's a very powerful word, amen. And um, you know it was be, being used even centuries before um, Christ came. So I, I just I just thought that was really cool and, and just that that term ecclesia. It's so. Powerful. And, and, and there in, in Greek society, it meant a group of people that came together. They, they came together to, for, for a common purpose to have authority. They could they can make decisions together. They, they're, they're, there's power in that ecclesia. And Jesus, you know, used that same term, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my ecclesia. And I'm just, I'm just very happy that, that I'm a, a part of this ecclesia here at Karis Christian Center. Amen? That we're all here and, and, and God has called us here, whether it be from Massachusetts or Montana or Kansas or Eads, Colorado or Tennessee, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Um, mammon. I did a study on mammon, just going, so going back from my little nerd, uh, ex, you know, 
Sometimes it's good to have a pastor who can kind of go really deep on certain things. And sometimes people have really deep questions. And um, mammon, the the word mammon, it's it's talking about riches, but but specifically about riches personified. Think about something that's personified. You know, some of you who who were great at English in high school and things, personification means to take something that's not a person, just take an object and, and give it qualities of a person. So mammon, it's saying that, that riches are now taking on the quality of a person to you. You can't worship money. So it's saying that mammon, it's not just riches, it, it's, it's no longer a tool. It's no longer what it really is. It, it has become a type of person, really a, a spiritual thing has attached itself to money and your concept of money. And it, it has become something that drives you, something that, motiv- something that really speaks to you. And, and, and in contrast, this, this spiritual mammon type thing, it's, it's contrasted with the spirit of Christ, with the spirit of God. So it will lead you away from what God is telling you to do. So if money is, is driving you away from God, you know it has become a spiritual type thing, an idol. An idol is something that, that isn't a person, but people put personality on it. There, there is a lot of spirit of mammon in the world today. There's a lot of idol worship in the world today. And this should never become an idol. It should always be a tool. Amen? I love what, what Paul wrote to Timothy, who was pastoring over the church at Ephesus, one of the greatest churches of that time. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 through 19. He was really telling people how, how to oppose a spirit of mammon. And he says this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So here, he's saying here that God will give you richly all things to enjoy. But he's saying whatever riches you have, you can't trust in those things. So he's saying people who are rich in this present age, and, and um, this is what my dad taught me and my brothers to do. He knew, like, even before we made money, he taught us to do these things. He taught us, and we all have, have considerable riches and, and a lot of things that God has given us to enjoy, but all of us are able to reject that spirit of mammon because my dad taught us to put our trust ultimately in God. And remember that he is the one who gives you richly all things to enjoy. Whatever you have, it doesn't, it's not your doing. It, it's, it's God's the one who gave you richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. You know, my brother Andrew, when he became an instant multimillionaire overnight, it didn't just change who he was. You know, he brought a six-figure tithe to his pastor a pastor of a small startup church in Denver. He, he's been there for 10 years playing keyboard there. He still plays keyboard there today. He's a phenomenal keyboardist. Phenomenal musician. But he does that because, because he wants to do good. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, be ready to give. 
I know since I married Heather, I always have to be ready to give. I'm a tither. I always tithe on the first of the month, but now I know that with Heather, I got to be, re- I got to keep cash in my wallet. I got to be ready to give. Willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So we, we can reject the spirit of mammon by putting your trust only in God. Number one, put your trust only in God. Number two, remember that he is the one who gives you richly all things to enjoy. That's a, that's a mega sentence right there. That he gives you richly. God, say, God gives me richly. All things to enjoy. Do good. Be ready to give. Willing to share. And eternal life needs to be your ultimate goal. The eternal picture needs to be your focus. Amen? Not just things that are temporary. All right, let's go on to the next bit here. It's kind of my last point for tonight. Don't worry. Be happy. This is a great point. Heather and I went to Iceland. Before we went to Iceland about a month ago, we did a little research about the the country of Iceland. 75% of Iceland, the population of Iceland, is on antidepressants. 75% of an entire nation is on antidepressants. So um, kind of of wonky. I'm I'm not a psychologist or a medical doctor, but I think that that's kind of an alarming statistic. And I think that just there is too much worrying out there, and there's especially a lot of too much worrying here. So Jesus, he's saying, don't worry, be happy. And he tells you how to be happy here. Verse 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body, more than clothing. He's, he's saying life is, is so much more than just trying to eat and trying to clothe yourself. And I love what he says here. He, again, he's trying to, to shift their perspective. What are you looking at? He's trying to give them eyes to see here. He says, look at the birds. Heather in her office, she has a picture of Jesus preaching on a mountaintop, and there's birds flying over this mountain as he's preaching to people. And he's pointing up to these birds. Look at the birds. Just look at how beautiful creation is. Yeah, if, if, you, if you don't think that God is a good God, just look. Look. You, unto the pure, all things are pure. Just look. Look at how beautiful his creation is. Look at the birds. You know, uh, we just went to Tennessee for Thanksgiving, and I went for a little walk around um, Heather's parents' neighborhood. And in Tennessee, it's much more wooded than here in Colorado. Just things grow everywhere, and because it's just so just so lush with trees and there's just birds everywhere and you just walk around and you just hear birds just, um, it, it's really amazing. And it just made me think of this, just, just look at the birds and, and Jesus said, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. I like to add a cubit to my stature. I, I, at times I've worried about it. But um, these boots have added a slight cubit to my stature at least. So, 
Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I love that. Consider the lilies. You know, in Colorado, I love, I love gardening. I love working out in the yard. I love lands. I love flowers. And daylilies are like one of, one of the few flowers that can grow here in Colorado. There's like nothing. Those are those yellow lilies. And you see them all, all throughout town. And they're just something that, for whatever reason, can just grow here. And I think people don't really have to water them that much or fertilize them that much. They just grow here. Consider the lilies. They neither toil nor spin. Jesus is removing the curse here. Toil. Toil, it's related to the curse. How you work and you toil and produce nothing. Spinning. Spinning is working and working and working and moving and moving and moving and not going anywhere. Some people just spin and spin and spin and spin all through life. And they, they, they're just in this rat race of chasing after things that don't matter. The devil wants you to become a hamster on his wheel. That's what he does to the Gentiles. Just chase this carrot on a stick. That's what mammon will do, just, just constantly chase after things that don't really matter. And Jesus wants to, to, to set you free from that. He wants to set you free from the curse, to set you free from spinning and spinning and not going anywhere. They, they neither toil nor spin. They can just grow. Verse 29, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, that word seek is super powerful. The Gentiles, what do they seek? What does the world constantly seek? What we seek should be different. Amen? I remember when I was getting my doctorate, I took this um, kind of career strategies type class that they had for the doctorate of music students. And um, um, I remember this, this uh, music professor, he asked us, that there were eight of us in the class, and he asked us all to write down our goals. And of the eight people in my doctoral class, I was the only one who had any goals outside of career. I, I put down some of my career goals, I put, but I put goals about, the, the, the question is just, what are your goals? I had a goal to, to be involved in church, to, to have a family someday, to, to impact other people in a positive way. And I was, the Gentiles, some things just don't click. All these things the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first. Again, what? It's about priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we've talked, especially in, in the last chapter of Matthew, about where we find true righteousness. It's not through, through the law. You, the righteous, the, the, following the law, and Jesus gives six points in Matthew 5, about how if you follow the law, it does not make you a righteous person. But Jesus said before that, I have come to fulfill the law. So true righteousness can only come through faith in Jesus. You need to seek first his, his kingdom. 
Amen? And the kingdom of God is not eat. It's not drink. It's not worry. It's not toiling. It's not spinning. It's not temporary. It's eternal, and it's growing, and it's expanding, and it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. True righteousness comes from faith in Jesus. Keep putting your trust in Jesus. Don't worry. Trust in Jesus. Don't worry. Be happy because you have Jesus. And all these things shall be added to you. All these things. Clothing, food, provision, it's all, he's going to take care of it all. I'm not going to recommend this to everyone here, but I have never had a budget. I've never, I've never, even marrying Heather, I, I've been tempted to sit down with her and <laughs> make a budget with her. Most people need, need to budget, though. But I've actually, I've actually never, never had a budget. When I, when I have no money and when I've had a lot of money, I've just, I keep track of how much I made, I tithe, I give, I, I'm, I'm pretty organized. First of the month, I, I pay all the bills, I, I do all the things. I, I sometimes point Heather in a certain direction with thanks. It's funny. Heather and I are very different people. It's funny. She, she does not like, she, she's a very grace-focused person. And uh, I've never just sat down and, and just listed off, you know, the, the laws of Aaron Purdue to her. Yeah. She said, if I do it unto her, I have to do it unto our daughter, Ada. I told her my, my approach is with, with the women in our house is just to give them whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> to, to some extent, there have been a couple moments where... <laughs> Well, it's funny, concerning, concerning law, Heather knows, I, I actually, she's much more of a rule follower in society than I am. I see rules as guidelines. <laughs> we were getting on the interstate, and there's those lights they added, you know, that you have to stop and wait three seconds until it goes green, and I told, told her, I've only stopped one out of ten times for those things. <laughs> and, uh... Don't tell any police officers. <laughs> but I just, that's a, that's a guideline. That's just a recommendation for how to get on the interstate. You know, it used to not be there, and they're just recommending how you get on the interstate now. <laughs> All right. Therefore, verse 34, Jesus' conclusion in this chapter. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be, will worry about its own things. Sufficient, I love that word sufficient. For, for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient. 
man, you don't have to worry about tomorrow because Jesus is sufficient for today. Amen. Jesus is Lord of all. I love that we sang Alpha, Omega. He's the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. He is all sufficient. I love thinking about the sufficiency of Jesus. Because I have Jesus, I have everything I need. He is all, I don't have to worry because I have Jesus. I, I know because I have Jesus, I will not lack. I don't have to toil. I don't have to spin. I don't have to worry. I don't have to listen to, I don't have to personify riches. I don't have to listen to the spirit of man. Money does not have to be a motivator for me. If I want to go to college for blowing hot air through a silver pipe, God has put that on my heart. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do what God is, is leading me to do. And because I know that Jesus is all sufficient, I know that this promise is true from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, that God is able to make all grace abound. To me, grace always abounds. Grace is never inadequate. Whenever grace is, is demonstrated in Scripture, it's always in abundance. He's able to make all grace abound toward me, that I will always have all sufficiency in all things. And I may have an abundance for every good work. And that, that is a Bible promise. And you can take it to the bank. Amen? Jesus is all sufficient. All right. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.